So last time I spoke about two games that I was excited to play, right? Super Hot and Splatoon. And I want to start off by talking about Super Hot, but VR. So I didn't know this, but the Super Hot on PlayStation 4 is two different games. There is a Super Hot VR and just Super Hot. Oh, really? Yeah. Super Hot is just huh. a first person shooter. Um, I don't actually know how it differs because I haven't played it yet, but I assume it's the same mechanic but presented differently. So what I was interested in playing, though, was Super Hot VR because I've heard it's one of the best VR games around. So my feeling is I can totally understand how Super Hot is one of the best VR games made that has been made. Hmm. The problem is the PSVR. So how? Like, all right. So let me explain what I like about Super Hot. Right. Okay. Okay. First of all, what is Super Hot? Yeah, because so I feel like I, I'm gonna I have like you. a I'm gonna help very you basic idea of what it is. It is in essence a first-person shooter, but you are fixed in position, at least with the VR. Um, and the game mechanic is really smart. So kind of what makes it stand out: time moves only when you move. Mm, okay. Right. So if you are completely still, time is frozen. So the enemies don't move. So the enemies do not move. Nothing okay. moves. The faster you move, the faster time moves. So for example, if someone has shot a bullet at you, you see it coming to you in the air. If you like quickly move out of the way of it, somebody else may have already shot you and then it will immediately ah. kill you. Everything needs to be done slowly. But all of the ways in which you kill the enemies speed up time. So you can punch them, you can stab them, you can throw things at them, you can shoot them. But every time you affect time, time moves at accurate speed. So if you shoot a bullet, the entire time the bullet is moving, time is moving at a one-to-one speed. Hmm. Right? Why do I feel like I know this concept? Was it done by some movie or some other Maybe, video game before? Possibly, possibly. I mean, mm. it's not completely out there. I mean, I, I don't recall anything for it, but like it's not, you know, I, I don't recall a game that I've ever played, at least that does it this way. And it's, it's a really engaging way of playing a game. You kind of have to take your time and plan things out until the moment you need to act. But at that moment, you need to be aware of what's around you. But the problem is to find out what's around you, you have to look around. So, you you know, it's, 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 really, it's really good. And also, this game... So uh, I, the it kind of looks like um, you remember like Metal Gear Solid like the VR type things right like all of, it, it's a big yeah. white environment yes. right and all of the like things are white so tables are white pillars are white um, but the 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 characters that you are fighting against they are red and everything is just kind of like chunky polygons right like it's very bare bones which is part of what makes it kind of visually cool. But one of the things that I really like about the game, weapons are black, by the way. Like anything you can pick up is black, right? And anything mm. can be a weapon. So you can kind of do a lot of really cool stuff in slow motion. Like you can dodge bullets, right? And you can watch the bullet go by you if you're moving slowly. And one of my favorite things is you can catch guns out of the air because the guns are moving in slow motion, right? So like if you... uh Say you, there's a knife, right? You throw a knife at someone who's got a gun. Their gun will start to like fly out of the air and they kind of make it that all the guns tend to fly towards you and you can kind of catch that gun out of the air, quickly move and shoot someone in the head, which is fantastic. And the way this game works from a kind of level perspective is 
there are multiple stages within a level, but everything is in fixed position. So, like, you may be in one room and there's three guys to kill, then it takes you to another room and there's two and then another room mm, and there's okay. four. But if you die at one of the stages, you go back to the start of the level. Now, this is actually kind of a cool thing because you get better at the earlier levels to the point where you clear them really methodically and kind of perfectly. Like there was this one where like there's a guy right in front of you who's got a gun and you have to like quickly like punch him or pick up something and throw it at him. And every time the gun comes towards you and there are two guys coming in from the side. By like my fifth time on that, like I was completing that level in maybe 10 or 15 seconds because I just knew it was like pick up, throw, grab gun, bang, bang. And like, Hmm. because you do it so many times, like it, it becomes like a... Something that you just you learn and you pick up the little tricks every time. It's just a fantastic game. The problem is the PlayStation VR equipment. So this game has all of the problems that a PSVR headset can bring into it, and because everything is so good in the game and there is there is an element of precision in some places, it just I just found it really frustrating. So like the camera not adequately knowing where my hands are because this is a game that you control with the move controllers. And so, like, for example, I know my hand is in front of me, but the game thinks that it's kind of just, like, floating over to the left. Or I would get those weird movements where I would turn to the left and then basically the entire world, like, falls down five feet. And I had this one thing where there is a point in the game where I don't want to give away spoilers, but there's a point in the game where you're in a room, just in a room. I was spawned into the wall. Oh, and then outside of the room into no. a game development space, which I wasn't supposed to be in. Like I was outside of the room, so I was just seeing like what you could see out of the window, right? Like just nothingness. I spent ten minutes trying to readjust the equipment so it would understand that I was in the room. I had to reboot the PlayStation before it would recognize me properly. Mm. PSVR man it's the camera and the 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 move controllers like the combination of them is just not good enough you know we've all experienced this right like there are some games where it works really well but some games where it doesn't work and there are times in this game where it's perfect but there are times in this game where it is almost vomit inducing because of the things that it does to you like it can be a real brain breaker so as you can assume I came out of my super hot experience. I'm not done with it. I'm going to go back into it. I just haven't had the time to go back into it yet because Splatoon came out. Um, basically, I've come out of this experience wanting a gaming PC again. <laughs> <laughs> there's no escape. There's no escape. Uh, basically, all all roads no, like all roads lead to gaming PC. <laughs> I really enjoy being in VR, and and I want the best VR I can get. And I play these games, and they're brilliant. But I know that they can be better, and I'm kind of like, well, why can I? Why am I? Why am I holding myself back? Is kind of the way that I feel. Well, because I feel like part of you knows that if you get a gaming PC, it's gonna be such a huge, like, sink of time because exactly. you want to buy everything and set up everything and fiddle around. I'm gonna learn how to friggin' use Windows, right? Like, there is gonna be a, a real learning curve, you know. And then you'll want to spend money on all the video games that you haven't been able to play for years. Mm-hmm. So I feel like. You're not doing it because the like the grown up part inside of you knows that it's gonna be a problem for your family life and your business. <laughs> because yeah. you know, who's got time for all of that? But I get why you're tempted because it is it is very much tempting to you know, 
But it could be a fun Christmas project, maybe when you have a little bit of an extended break, you know. That could be that could be a fun idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Do you want to know about Splatoon? Okay. So, so tell me. So you played much more than I did. I yeah. did like five single player levels. Okay, and so at least you've played something because you didn't play Splatoon have, one at all, right? I never played the first one. I played the second one. I did the sing- I started the single player campaign. I did the first world uh, with the you know with the three levels and the boss, mm-hmm. and then I I jumped into the second like hub. Um, it's super fun. Like I get why people are having fun, but I haven't touched the multiplayer mechanics yet for a reason that I will explain shortly. But Mike, you've been playing the multiplayer. Yeah, so, mostly. And you, and you told me that I should check it out. I think you should. Also. So Splatoon 2 is as great as Splatoon 1 in all the ways that Splatoon 1 was great. Um, I find Splatoon fun to play online. It's a game that makes me feel like I'm actually good at multiplayer because it's possible to win in multiple ways. Like, you can stay out of combat completely in Splatoon and just try and cover as much... If you're playing the Turf War games, you just try and cover as much of the ground as you possibly can in ink. Like, and if, and if you do that, people don't get mad at you? Like... The point of the game, the winning team, is the team that has covered the majority of the ground in ink. Everyone mm. has to do it. But there are some people, and I'm I'm like this, where I try and do a mix. I cover as much of the ground as I can see, but I'm typically rushing in for combat, right? Because I like trying to take somebody out and then sure. paint as much of their area as I can. Like there's there's a fun mm-hmm. in that to me. But there are times where like I'm playing in a maybe I'm playing in a certain group that I've been matched with where I'm just not good enough, right? Like I'm just being destroyed. So then I'll mm-hmm. hang back and just try and find some of the areas to cover in paint. It always actually helps to have somebody on the team who's paying attention to that. That you're 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 put into teams of four. Because by having someone who's making sure that everything's covered, you don't end up with a scenario where like twenty percent of your home area has been covered in the opposing sure. team's ink. Right? Like there is a real benefit in doing that. And you can actually like and there have been many times where I've been first in the whole game with the least amount of kills. Oh, sure. Because there is like a points grading system which takes into account everything. And I was paying more attention to covering the ground. So I was gaining more points that way. But me me being in the winning team is a thing that happens quite a bit. And me being first in the entire game is something that has happened to me on a number of occasions. And like this is not a thing that I'm able to do in any type of online playing game, especially where there are shooting mechanics. Right, like this is not a thing that I am typically able to do. In my last uh, fifty battles, I've been on the victorious team twenty-three times and the defeating team twenty-seven times, and that works fine for me. Like I've found that to be perfectly fine because typically I would not be on the winning team at all. And if I ever was on a winning team in, a, in an online game, I wouldn't have made that much of an effect. But there are times where I'm playing Splatoon and I'm like, I am making a real effect to the outcome of this game. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. a lot of the mechanics of first-person shooters, a lot of them don't, don't exist here purposefully. So it's, it's a lot more of a stripped-back experience for many people. 
Now, the unfortunate thing about Splatoon 2 is it hasn't really fixed a lot of the online issues that Splatoon 1 had. So I want to run down some of this stuff. Now, a lot of these things is stuff that I've read online um, about people's experiences because I haven't personally tried to play a game with friends. So there are a bunch of different game modes. And the regular matches, these are the typical matches that you'll play where you just say, I want to play a regular match, and it's a turf war match, and you're going out into the world. You can't purposefully play one of these matches with a friend on your team. The way that if you if me and you wanted to play a regular match together against random people in the world and there was just two of us, we would have to join the regular match area at the same time and hope that we are put in the same lobby. Mm. And if you don't make it in, I have to play a game and we have to wait until I come back because you can't quit. You can't quit at any point. You you have to wait. And then I would quit the lobby once the game is over and we would hopefully try again. Like, there's no guarantee you'll be on the same team as the teams will get shuffled around. Like, it is impossible to play regular matches online with your friends. You can play league battles with your friends. But to play league battles, you first have to get to level 10 from regular battles and be at least a C- in ranked mode. Mm, okay so it's like there are way that the, if you want to play with your friends you can't do it in normal mode and there is a way to do it to play against other people like random people but there's a bunch of requirements you have to meet first which take a significant amount of time it seems like it's way easier to play multiplayer locally but mm-hmm. you have to have more than one switch there is no split screen in Splatoon 2 which I cannot believe Nintendo shipped like I cannot believe it I That's am so strange. surprised that they did not do this, but they did not do it. So the app is a bit of a disaster as well. So the app that you use for Splatoon 2, um, the Nintendo app, right? You can have tell voice me, chats tell me, in it. Tell me about that. Tell me about the whole setup so, <laughs> that you had to go through. <laughs> so I haven't used it because I haven't played any games of people where I'm using voice chat, right? But I'm familiar with the way that it works. And, the, the, the Nintendo app right now uh, it allows you to do a voice chat, right? But if the phone locks, you get disconnected from the voice chat. No. And if you close the app, you get disconnected from the voice chat. Like it doesn't use the background nope. VoIP. <sighs> nope. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> there is a cool thing I do like about the app in Splatnet. You can get special clothing in Splatnet. That you can only get there. So Splatnet is like the Splatoon area of the Nintendo Online app. So you can go in and and choose some cool clothes and you can have them delivered to you in the game which you can buy with the money that you amass through playing. That's kind of cool. I think my overall feeling about Splatoon 2 is it is a game that I am really enjoying playing in the way that I'm playing it. If I was the type of person that played in a team of friends, I think I would probably have torn all my hair out by now. Um, there is a new mode called Salmon Run, which is like a horde mode of like waves of enemies. I've played a little bit of that, and I really like it, but I haven't played enough of that to 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 really give a lot of experiences about. This is a timed mode. It's only available at certain times, which is yeah, it is what it is. It's a, it's an online multiplayer game. There are different types of game modes available at different times. I think that Splatoon Two is improved in a bunch of ways over Splatoon, but it is only doing to highlight. Nintendo's biggest flaws on an even bigger stage, which is its 
continuing issues with um, with online play. Yeah, they better figure out this online stuff. And probably this is the reason why everything got delayed to next year. Uh, they, they, it cannot seriously it cannot work this way. That you know, fine, you have to use a mobile app, uh, but then it comes with those kinds of limitations. Like it's even a from your description, it sounds like a bad iPhone app that doesn't use any of the background features. Oh, it's a bad app. Like it's not a good app. It is like a web view, right? Like it is just straight right, up right. a bad application. Like if you want to force people to use an, an app, at least make it a decent one. Yep. Uh, and they didn't do that. F- so I, I feel like that's seriously the worst of every possible way that Nintendo yep. could have gone. Um, and maybe I want, like, I want to be optimistic and think, look, maybe they wanted to have Splatoon 2 out this summer and they realized, you know, this online stuff is kind of terrible, so we better push it out to, you know, to next year. Uh, so we can launch it and yeah, make I do believe pay. this is part of it that they they that you know they are using this period of time to understand what people are looking for. Yeah. I, I do believe that, and it's why it's free, right? Because t- I tell you yeah. right now, you can't charge for this. You right? can <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and I believe that Nintendo are aware of that. Um, I think that this is part of you know we were always talking about the really short development window that Nintendo seemed to have for the NX right that was like a, a long thing that me and you spoke about for a long time I think this is one of the things that's fallen down and I understand why Nintendo would deprioritize this because they really are not a platform for online multiplayer right they, right. they don't have a lot of online multiplayer games that are compelling but Splatoon is one of them, and I am surprised that 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 they let it get like let it be this bad. But I have a hope that they're gonna that they're gonna fix it. I think if there would have been another big game, they maybe would have delayed Splatoon two for a little bit longer. But they needed this game, I think, to hold up until Mario. And I will say, like I saw some reports that like Splatoon two in Japan has already outsold Zelda. Yeah, I saw that very good numbers, uh, like six hundred thousand units or something yep. in, in the first week it was intense you know that's those are good numbers for for a relatively new franchise especially you know a new series coming from the wii u which had a very limited audience so it's good to see that Nintendo is gonna you know it's is finding success with splatoon and uh, if you keep an eye on social media like there's an entire and strong community already around these games i'm uh, loving it I'm, man i'm i'm playing a lot of it like i'm i'm really enjoying it uh but yeah, there is uh, there are some issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really hope that you know by the times that by the time that people are gonna pay for this stuff, Nintendo doesn't have like as a stronger solution. Like, don't make me use a mobile app that is actually a web page, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't. I'll like, say they have been doing so well with a lot of this stuff recently that, that I do genuinely have faith in them to make it right because yeah, they've yeah. been making a lot of right moves um, over the over the, the lifetime of the Switch. So let me tell you what I've been up to. Um, okay. So I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago I needed to get better at um, doing shrines in Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. and I needed to collect more hearts. So I started, you know, wandering around again, exploring... I've been. Um, I actually, for the first time, I uh, took up the map that uh, came with my uh, Zelda guidebook. Uh, and now I'm looking at the map, and I'm I've sort of broken up the map in tiles. So now I'm exploring hmm. areas, and until I've found all the shrines, I move. I don't move to the next 
part of the map. Let me ask a question. Do you have to complete mm. the shrines you're finding or do you just have to find them? No, I have to, I have to find them and complete them mm. uh, because I, I need to exchange them for hearts. And I'm, I'm now at 71 something shrines. So still a way to go, you know, like 50 shrines. Uh, but I get there. Uh, basically, uh, during this exploration, I've, I've started, you know, reading again online about the items that you can unlock in Breath of the Wild. And uh, uh, basically, I've fallen into the rabbit hole of amiibo drops. So you know when you you can scan amiibo characters on on the Switch, and you can do it once a day, so every twenty four hours, and you get some drops, some chests or like item drops falling from the sky. Um, and because you can do it once a day, you cannot spam the console with amiibo, uh, you know, scanning. And well, unless you own twenty amiibo, right? <laughs> uh, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, and the the rare items associated with certain amiibo, uh, those are really rare to find. Like uh, sometimes you get like five arrows for an amiibo that in theory should give you like a powerful sword. Um, so I've started documenting you know all of the different jobs all the different weapons that you can get and i realized you know i kind of want to collect all the zelda amiibo uh that i can find so i've started you know exploring on amazon uh, us amazon italy and amazon uk and i've bought some of those and so to give you an idea uh right now my zelda collection um includes ganondorf from ocarina of time zelda the Skyward Sword Link. I have a Guardian Amiibo. I got Link uh, the Archer from Breath of the Wild coming in tomorrow. And I got Link Ocarina of Time coming on Monday, I wow. think. Maybe even tomorrow. In addition to those that I already had, like the Wolf Link Amiibo uh, that I bought last year and the Super Smash Bros. Amiibo. So now I have like seven, eight Zelda Amiibo. Uh and I'm considering buying even more. And in, in this in this process, like in this sort of feverish uh, <laughs> impulse buy week, um, I also got the Mario Amiibo that I never bought, like the standard Mario figurine. And I was lucky because I was following uh, Wario64 on Twitter and I was able to get from Amazon.com uh, a cloud... Uh, Amiibo from Final Fantasy VII, which, as you might imagine, uh, is already in a premier spot in my on my shelf. Um, so now what I've started doing is every morning after I have breakfast and before I start working, I grab my Switch from the dock, I reserve five minutes for myself, take all my Amiibo, and I scan them, one after the other, uh, every single morning, hoping for a good drop. I'm still waiting to get the, you know, the swords and the good stuff from the, uh, especially from the Skyward Sword and the Zelda amiibo. Uh, but every morning now I have this routine that I sit down and, you know, seven or eight amiibo, I do them all in succession. And uh, I've also, out of curiosity, uh, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's people creating fake amiibo, uh, yep. like, Cards, those are like NFC cards that you buy on eBay. Super illegal, of course. But, you know, people sell them. So out of curiosity, I bought two of them. One is a duplicate. It's a Guardian Amiibo card of an Amiibo that I already have. And the other one is a Wind Waker uh, Link Amiibo. 
and they work well and because they are in theory they fake like you have an additional amiibo uh, the guardian one for example i can scan twice because the card and the actual figurine are two separate amiibo in theory so that was fun you know the world of legal amiibo but they don't have the same feeling of the real figurine on your shelf so yeah i've um i've been trying to unlock all the powerful amiibo stuff while exploring the map Trying to do more shrines because I want to do them all and I want to have the maximum hearts available. And in the process, I've also upgraded the, uh, the ancient uh, suit to the maximum stats. So now I have 84 defense. And man, that took a long time because I had to basically to farm the ancient course, which is super hard to do and super tedious. And also uh, needed to find a way to connect to collect all the star fragments. But thanks to the power of YouTube, I found a guy who had a pretty solid method for collecting star fragments falling from the sky. So yeah, basically now, every morning, amiibo routine, every night, exploration and trides. <laughs> You've turned Zelda into Animal Crossing. Uh, kinda, yes. Yes, that's a great way to put it. It's a, it's a combination of Zelda, Minecraft, and, and uh, Animal Crossing. It's oh, like no. I have my routine. I just realized how many Animal Crossing amiibo they will make. Oh man! Oh man! Oh yeah. no! <laughs> That's not gonna be good. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be rough once it comes out. But yeah, I'm now at 125 hours of Zelda, and I feel like I've just begun. Like I I, I found a village, a new village, like a fishing town, after five months last night. Like this game, like seriously, Nintendo. I don't know. It will never end, probably. So it's great. I love it. Now, if you're wondering where Shahid is this week, he's actually doing something that is a lot more serious and worthwhile than me playing <laughs> Splatoon or Federico buying Amiibo. So uh, this week, Adobe has announced the end of Flash coming in 2020. And Shahid, all day today, has been interviewing and getting quotes from developers of Flash games and people within the industry. Um, and after this break, you're going to hear some of those, um, and there's some really fascinating discussions in there, which kind of explains why Flash is important to the gaming industry and kind of tries to take a look at what the effect might be um, now that Flash is going to be going away. But before we get to that, let me thank our sponsor of this week's episode, and that is Squarespace. Use the offer code INSERTCOIN at checkout, and you'll get 10% of your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. No matter what it is you're trying to make, Squarespace have the tools. They are an all-in-one platform that will let you put anything online. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. Whether you want to build an online store, a portfolio, a blog, a site for your band, your business, or your restaurant, it doesn't matter. And hey, with Flash going away, now might be the perfect time to sign up for a Squarespace site if you have a website in Flash, because I'm telling you, you have not used a tool as easy to build a website as Squarespace. They back everything up with award-winning 24-7 customer support. They let you grab domain names. They have beautiful templates that you can take advantage of. They are the place for your idea, for your project, for your business. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can sign up for a trial with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. Then use the offer code INSERTCOIN, that's I-N-S-E-R-T-C-O-I-N, to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Remaster. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Earlier this week, 
Adobe announced that their venerable Flash player will be retired in 2020. Once upon a time, Flash wasn't just about every desktop in the world and the leading provider of rich media, like animation, video and, of course, games on the web. With the mobile era came a growing unease at Flash's perceived failings in both power management and security handling, points made publicly and forcefully by Steve Jobs. With the emergence of excellent web standards and libraries, it was only a matter of time before Flash started to lose its foothold. Nevertheless, the world of video games would have been a lot poorer without Flash. So I asked Jamie Kaysen, executive producer at Miniclip, if Flash had been an important factor in Miniclip's success, and if so, why he thought Flash had gained such support from games developers. And he said, Yes, Flash has been central to the phenomena of browser games, and as such, most of Miniclip's historic gameplays have been in Flash. I think Flash although not designed for making games, was accessible to a broad community of developers and appealed as much, if not more, to animators and artists as it did coders. It was equally accessible to players, especially for simple vector-based games, which would load fast and be snackable, addictive but disposable. Flash gave us a platform for casual games, which in turn seeded the early mobile games market in terms of enabling game makers to learn their trade prototype ideas and develop IP that then filled the app store. Epitomised by our own eight-ball pool in this chapter of the games industry's history. I then asked Jamie how he felt about the sunsetting of Flash in 2020 and how it might affect games development in general. And did he see any potentially worthy successes to Flash? And he answered, Game development has already long since moved on. Since 2012, Unity has taken over as a development environment weapon of choice, as it's a specialist tool designed specifically for game development, and mobile is now the primary target platform for casual and social game devs. In addition to Unity, there are a plethora of optimised frameworks and environments for targeting the web browser in HTML5 stroke WebGL, like Construct, Phaser, 3JS and Play Canvas. Since the deprecation of plugins generally and the thousand cuts of inaccessibility applied to Flash, it has made increasingly less sense to begin commercial projects that target the Flash plugin. There'll be a very long tail of Flash game playing, and I expect something of a heritage industry in preserving the canon of classic Flash games, but ultimately it is never about the tools, but the imagination, craft and drive to create of the casual game development community. They've already found new channels to flow through and web browser players are there in ever greater numbers, thirsty for their marvellous outpourings. Thank you, Jamie. I'm delighted to be speaking with Jeff Fien, formerly VP of Design at Adobe, who knows a thing or two about Flash. So when the announcement hit the interwebs and uh, also mainstream news channels, I was really intrigued to see, Jeff, you posting uh, a quite mm -hmm. well-informed tweet storm on Twitter, <laughs> um, discussing the pros and cons of what had happened. Now, someone who was an insider and who saw the growth and 
I guess, massive establishment of Flash as a platform across uh, the desktops of the world. What did yeah. you make of the news that Adobe are going to be retiring the player, as I understand it, in 2020? It, uh, are you are you happy or sad? How does it make you feel? <laughs> That's a really good question. And first of all, thanks for having me on. It's a, always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, yeah, it was a... Maybe I should give you a little context to help understand uh, the, the, the perspective that I have, because I have... My entire career, which goes back much longer than I care to admit, is <laughs> is around web standards. So I, I was doing early early web standards work on the with the W three C Commission um, for CSS and HTML back in the nineties. And so I've always been very focused on the path forward is through open standards and kind of consensus implementations of all that kind of stuff. And Flash, and there are other technologies like Microsoft did a bunch of stuff with ActiveX and things like that, but Flash was always this sort of thorn in the side of standards because they did things that were admittedly very, very popular for people who were producing content on the web, but did so in a way that was very closed and proprietary and kind of not part of the web. You always had like this box in the middle of your web page and only Flash would happen in there and it didn't interact with any of the JavaScript or anything like that. And, and so there was always this like dichotomy between my God, you can do amazing things with flash and oh my gosh, flash, flash is terrible. Like search engines aren't seeing inside of it. And there's no accessibility for people, you know, that have different abilities to uh, see the screen or interact with computers. So there, it's always been this, this, this tension. So to see the news that Adobe is retiring it after all these years, what I had really mixed feelings because I do believe that for many, many years, Flash was a sort of prototype for new web technology showing us what was possible, different interaction models, different media that could stream into the browser. Like all that stuff happened first in Flash. But ultimately, I think it's better for the web, better for the open internet to not have Flash at all. So I don't know, a little regret, a little nostalgia, and a, and a dose of, uh, frankly, relief. <laughs> How's that sound? <laughs> How, how much of a part do you think Apple played in Adobe's long-term plans for for Flash technology in general? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was that famous, what was that, about five years ago now, right? When Steve Jobs right. wrote that open letter that they put on uh, Apple's website saying, look, we would love to have brought Flash into the iPhone or into iOS, uh, but it's just not possible, and here are the nine reasons why, or whatever. It was incredibly well articulated and very well thought out. And I think it was honestly the death blow, right? Like, I think mm. the whole industry sh shifted in 2007 when the iPhone came out. There's just no question about that. Every, I mean, if you look at phones before 2007 and phones after 2007, it's just, it's night and day. Everything changed all at once. Mm. And our notion of what you do with technology changed at the same time. That took a couple years for us to fundamentally understand the world of apps and uh, the fact that more people are viewing web content on a smaller screen than a bigger screen. But all of that changed. And Adobe was never able to make Flash work on iOS in a way that was performant or uh, was respectful of the battery or any of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I think they just got left behind at that point. You know, one of the things that I was really keen on asking you about was 
while you were at Adobe, how did you feel about Flash and ActionScript and, and all of the related technologies being used as, well, I guess a playground of independent developers across the world? Well, to be fair, I didn't get to Adobe in 2000, until 2011. And, uh, and I got there via an acquisition. So uh, it was acquisition of, interestingly, a product that was specifically designed to sort of offer a web-based alternative to a lot of things that were happening in Flash. So I think, uh, and that was a, a company called Typekit, which did fonts for the web using native CSS to do that. I love Typekit. I use Typekit. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. They're still going strong. They're doing so well at Adobe even now. Um, but I was only at Adobe for about three and a half years. Uh, and, and I was there much like around the time when Flash was, Adobe was finally acknowledging, okay, this is not a long-term strategy for us. Uh, and in fact, many of the teams that were working on Flash at Adobe, when I got there, were starting to kind of break apart. There wasn't as much investment in it. Um, and in fact, some of the best engineers uh, that we acquired for the Typekit team when we got to Adobe came from the Flash team. And I thought there was a lot of irony in that, that uh, you know, a product that was designed to combat hack, the, the hacks that people were trying to do for typography on the web using Flash was now, you know, that team was now coming to join us. And so, um, so yeah, there was, a, uh, there was a shift happening then, but I think it was already acknowledged that uh, the future of the web was not, and certainly the future of mobile was not going to be Flash. So, I mean, you're obviously a very keen proponent of standards and interoperability and accessibility and design and so on. And this seems to have been prevalent in your work going back decades now. How do you feel about games developers' sadness that a means by which older work, i.e. the heritage of some of these video games, might not be preserved? Do you think it's, do, do you think it's about time? Do you think it's okay for there to be um, legacy formats that completely disappear and, and potentially take uh, work off the internet? Or do you think there's a possibility albeit a remote one, that Adobe might open source Flash in some way so that these older games that are the history of an important part of the entire ecosystem, if you like, are preserved in some way. Well, you have to understand that very few people can see those games now, especially on mobile, right? Like those games are, in effect, already starting to be kind of cast in amber. And... Um, and uh, at the same time, I don't worry too much about that, uh, simply because I have seen that happen in other technologies at the time. I mean, you can go to uh, archive.org right, and play all of these old um, Mac OS games from, from, from way back in the 80s and 90s. Like There are efforts in place to try to preserve the history of the web use, or, and the history of other technologies using emulators in a way that I think is robust and will continue. So, yeah, I think, I mean, look, Adobe, at the end of the day, is a public company that is, needs to continue to show shareholder value. And they will do that with Flash for as long as they possibly can. And at some point, yeah, it's going to make a lot of sense for them to help their community of people preserve the legacy of the work they did by open sourcing it. So it would not surprise me if that happened. Now, they, have, they, they said they were actually continuing development for two and a half more years, right, until 2020. And then that they would continue supporting Flash even beyond that. So I think, 
it's a long ways down the road before Flash is not even a thing anymore. And that's plenty of time for us to think about how we might preserve all that legacy. Jeffine, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Well, we're very pleased at Remaster to be joined by Ricky Haggett, whose credits include Hohokam, Super Exploding Zoo, and most recently, Loot Rascals. Ricky, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our first meeting. And although it's well documented, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the fact that I came to a little studio at the time in Kentish Town, working on idea after idea after idea. And the thing that blew me away was that all of these cool ideas were being knocked up in Flash. And I, I just thought that was, that was absolutely incredible. Uh, what I wanted to start off with was, why do you think so many games developers over the years have chosen Flash to make games with? Yeah, so there's three main reasons. Uh, the, there's, you've got the Flash IDE, which was a really nice way of wiring up complicated um, structural things. So like animations or screens, you know, um, and, and, and you could, you know, like, like people who are good animators, you know, illustrators were used to using Flash and making amazing things happen in Flash. And there was a sort of, alongside the Flash game scene, there was a sort of, you know, coexistent Flash animation scene. Um, and those things kind of played quite nicely together. Um, so, you know, when it came to like, you know, I, I need to put together all these complicated animation states or I, I need to like wire the screen up, rather than having to like hand crank your own editor or or like have an XML parser, or you could literally just draw this stuff in the Flash IDE and just get it get it wired up really quickly. I think another reason is the um, the language, ActionScript 3. Uh, ActionScript 2 was kind of shonky, but 3 was really lovely and, and, and you know, still is actually. Um, Hacks, which I've been using, or Hakes, I'm not sure, is, um, is very based on ActionScript 3. And it's just a really nice language with lots of like, a really sensible API for all kinds of things. Um, and it lets you do some incredibly powerful stuff um with you know um relatively little code you know like lots of stuff that you if you were making a c++ engine you would have to sort of hand design and you very quickly get into the weeds with like loads of complicated issues like flash just provides for you and then the third reason is the flash player which was like ubiquitous uh you know and would run on an astonishing range of hardware you know like really really low powered pcs it got to the point where the flash player was just pretty good at dealing with it um and yeah and, and and most browsers would have a flash player installed and so people could just get flash content and there was this magical time um you know before like flash adverts and bloat started to give this whole thing uh, a kind of bad reputation there was this really sweet spot where the flash game scene was like a kind of um, you know cambrian explosion that was a bit like the the sort of 8-bit you know spectrum c64 and then amiga kind of um explosion of creativity in games so given that i mean it, it sounds like an astonishing scene and one which i have to say a lot of people in the mainstream myself included were absolutely oblivious to um and thank god a lot of us woke up so what i'd like to know from you personally is how do you feel about adobe discontinuing flash support from 2020 oh i'm f i mean i'm kind of fine with it i think like um I am still using uh, the Flash Player, um, and I'm still going to keep using the Flash Player because I, you know, I, I, I work in hacks, and 
And the, the, for me, the nicest build path there is I build a Swift and, and then I run it in the Flash Player. And Adobe can't delete the Flash Player XE off my computer. <laughs> so <laughs> as far as I know, I can just keep doing that forever. And, you know, and then when I want to publish this, you know, when I want to like actually release my game, I can make a Windows executable or a Mac executable or an iOS or an Android, you know, like there's, you know, I can, I can make other builds in hacks. Um, and, and, you know, the, actually the main thing I've used Flash for, you know, Ho Hokum and Loot Rascals and Super Exploding Zoo all started as, as like Flash prototypes mm. um, because it's just the fastest way to make a 2D prototype for me anyway. Like I don't really know Unity and I don't really have an inclination to learn. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel like the world has moved on, you know, flat flash never really was suited for the, for the, for mobile platforms at the time when mobile platforms were sort of coming on and there were, you know, massive commercial reasons why there was no way Google and Apple were going to let a load of amazing free content, just people play them on their phones anyway. Yeah. Um, so there were sort of commercial reasons why Adobe got squashed and I, I guess they made a bunch of weird decisions along the way as well. Um, and I and I sort of have a lot of sympathy for people who have continued to make money out of, you know, make a business out of making flash games. That must be a really hard journey to be on. But but personally speaking, I have no um, skin in the game in that way. Really, mm, it doesn't mm. doesn't bother me. So, what would you advise developers today who are still using Flash to make games? Personally, I would I would check out. I would recommend checking out Hacks. I think that um, there's a really nice. Um, there's a bunch of libs for it, like um, you know, OpenFL. Um, which is like a kind of flashlight, you know, like all of the, the stuff that you expect from Flash, but but you know for hacks. Um, there's also Flixel implementation. There's Box Two D implementation. There's the language is very similar. Like mm. it's not quite the same. It's sort of nicer in some ways, um, but it's broadly speaking the same. You can use Flash Develop. That's probably the most natural jump. Mm. Um, the, the other the other place to jump to probably would be Unity. I guess in a sense, Flash will live on, right? I think that um, I think that it would be a very big shame if um, if we lost all of the amazing games which were made in Flash. However, I think there's a degree to which that's already going to happen because a lot of those things are are based on um, APIs which connect to servers which are outdated. So the company I used to work for before I started my own company, we used to have a Flash portal and. Our Flash portal, we used to make our own games and also, you know, pay for other people's games. And we used to wrap them in our sort of, you know, application wrapper. And that application wrapper would do a whole load of stuff, like serve adverts and do reporting back to the server and stuff. But now that those servers don't exist and those APIs are effectively dead, I think that you'd find a lot of the games, you know, you could get the Swifts off the internet now, Mm. but they just wouldn't work anymore. Um, And it would require the developers to go back and, like, make a kind of you know vanilla version of the swifts without you know all that stuff wired in right so I, so so i think that you know the 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 fact that adobe going to discontinue the flash player like this you can still there are still flash player executables there you know you can still open a flash player um and drag any swift into it and and if it runs it runs mm. you know i've still got a whole bunch of my games as swifts that i can still play um and, and will have you know forever in inverted commas <laughs> um but um, but yeah, I, th- I think there'll already be a whole bunch of stuff that will be lost. That's very sad. And on that sad note, I have to ask you one more question. Um, the obvious one, which is, what is your favourite Flash game of all time? 
Well, I'll tell you the one that that kind of blew my mind and made me really want to be in, into Flash was um, um, Flow. It oh was, yeah. Um, Genova, it was yeah. Genova, it was when Genova Chem brought out Flow mm. in Flash, and and it was so well done and so beautiful. Um, I believe that was the sort of version that then PlayStation went and sort of funded a team to make the proper shiny, you know, PlayStation Three version. That's right. I remember yeah. when that came into the office. But yeah, when I played it on, in Flash, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is this is like a proper exciting thing that I want to learn how to do all of this stuff now." Um, I think that what else was really good at the time? Canabout was a Flash game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I'm so glad was, you said that. Yeah, that one was pretty special. Yeah, there were so many. There were I really enjoyed. Them. I really enjoyed just making them as well, just yeah. churning them out one every one every three to six weeks. <laughs> it's a really good laugh, Ricky. It's been a real pleasure to have you, and I hope to catch up with you soon. Brilliant. Cheers, Shahid. Bye.